This is episode 9 of the Hub Games Hangout, brought to you by Prisma Arena. Available at your friendly local game store, online, or at wearehubgames.com. Another reason that I'm really happy you're on it is because I think a lot of podcasts, or, you know, I find the video chats and stuff are usually quite US-centric with their mm-hmm. audience as well and it's like okay we need to kind of broaden that out a little bit um and link more people together and because i think though i wouldn't say there's many people you know in the us or even in the uk who know trick track probably not but yet the production level of what you guys are doing is like incredible so Thank i think you. it's <laughs> It'd be kind of nice to at least put you on more people's radar as well. We're actually going to be the main, um, the official French-speaking uh, media for uh, Spiel Digital this year. Yes. So I think maybe, but also, I mean, it does make sense that a non-French-speaking audience wouldn't really know yeah. others. I mean, I know, we but... don't produce... English-speaking content at the moment. So. Yeah, I know, but it's more. I think sometimes people think, "What the French play games?" You know that it's only, you know, <laughs> you, know you know. But you know what I mean. This it's... is like the biggest market in the world now. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but you know what I mean, where people live in their bubble, and if they're just used to seeing yes content coming, you know, they're only ever seeing English language content, so they only think of it from that perspective. Mm-mm. So actually, so um. I don't think how I can turn that into a question, actually, about the kind of French audience for games. Brian! Cool. Hey. All right. Introductions. Rory, you've yeah. met Ryan already. Yes. Ages ago. Uh, Ryan, this is Mathilde from Trick Track, uh, France's leading games journalism <laughs> extravaganza. Hello. Uh, Mathilde, Absolutely. Ryan is from the Cardboard Republic. Um, he's a friend of mine. <laughs> Cool. Hi, Ryan. How are you doing? Yeah, no nepotism here, Michael. Yeah, no, <laughs> uh, no, Ryan um, is uh, runs Cardboard Republic, which is uh, a fantastic site that focuses on written reviews. Um, okay. Which I appreciate. We still exist. You still exist. Just trying to figure out where yeah, I'm sure right. it is. Okay, so I put it on the Hub Games Twitter. We are live right now. Okay, cool, cool, cool. It's top of the hour, and we've got Joss. It's already there. <laughs> um, okay, which doesn't surprise me at all. Um, so, Ryan, Mathilde, uh, just as a heads up, I have access to the comments that pop up on the right-hand side, just so you know. So when people like Joss say hello, I can make this happen, and we get little sort of things like that. So if questions pop up, um, we'll throw them in there. Uh, Ryan, you're only with us for a a wee bit because you've got a presser at the top of the hour, yeah? Yes. Okay. Cool. You'll have to suffer until then. Or us. Sad face. All right, let's kick off this thing. It is Wednesday. It's 7 o'clock in the UK. It's 8 o'clock in France. It's 
two o'clock in the afternoon on the east coast of America, uh, which means that it is time for another Hub Games Team Talk. As ever, I am one of your cordial hosts, Michael. Over there is the inimitable Rory. Hello, Rory. Hey, everybody. Your face is not being obscured by the StreamYard logo again, which is good. And uh, we have two fabulous and wonderful special guests this week as well. Uh, first up, uh, from France's most noted leading journalistic extravaganza when it comes to games and all things logical, uh, from Tritrac. See, I've got that little R in my French. Got it? See, that's what four years of GCSE French does for you. Uh, it is Mathilde. Mathilde, thank you so much for joining us. It is a pleasure to have you. Thank you for the invitation. Hi, everyone. Pleased to be here. <laughs> and also uh, from uh, the East Coast of the States, from the Cardboard Republic, um, one of my favorite review sites. I'm not just saying that because he's a friend of mine, but because he does very, very good in-depth written stuff, uh, is Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's all good. Um, so before we throw into uh, today's topic, which is... Uh, the wonderful world of reviews, which I know encompasses and sort of like covers a whole load of spots. Um, was like sort of like kick off with what if what have you been doing? What have you been playing? If indeed anything. Um, so Matilde, as uh, you joined first, mm -hmm. <laughs> right, okay. just right, just rocked up. Sounds uh, totally but, fair. Yeah, what's what, what's been um, hitting your table recently, if anything? Uh, so recently I've been playing a lot of The Crew, so the Spiel des Jahres mm. uh, winner, because I hadn't had the chance to try it before the uh, the actual ceremony, mm. so I really didn't want to uh, pass on this one, obviously. And I, I, I feel like I wanted not to like it, to feel different from other people, but I do like it a lot. <laughs> So I can only recommend this. <laughs> um, then playing a lot of uh, Nidavellir as well uh, from Serge Leger. Uh, I don't know if you heard about it. Um, no, 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 tell us about it. And uh, it's uh, in uh, Gros Games, so French publisher. I'm not sure if it's been released in other, uh, in non-French speaking countries, to be to be honest. But I, uh, you basically got to recruit an army of dwarves to go and uh, kill a dragon. So, you know. Uh, pr pretty cool uh, scenario and uh, yeah those have been my this is really my recent activity I would say I'm going to limit to those two that was Sounds pretty good. big at Cannes wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah absolutely it was uh, it was actually third on our um, hotness kind of list that we mm -hmm. put up online so yeah this is the first thing that brought my attention to this one it's, it was one of those games where I was looking longingly at it at, at Cannes and no one would, could explain it to me because it was French only. <laughs> it's a, I can explain it to you and the cards yeah, yeah. and everything are, are uh, language neutral, so okay. it'll be fine. Ah. <laughs> yeah, the words were like, no, just keep moving. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Um, Ryan, what about you? Anything thrilling hitting your table? I, I, I'm so Ryan recently had, well, you didn't have it, but your partner had your first child. Um, which you, I think you described as a, a, a black hole. A uh, tiny, horrible <laughs> black hole of productivity was actually how I described it. <laughs> so do you, are you getting to actually play much at the minute? So on the one hand, we have now an eight-month-old. So that's definitely heavily curtailed our ability to play games in 2020. Uh, on the one hand. On the other hand, um, I'm from America, 
and things are an absolute nightmare right now. I thought they were all going fine. The, the, the media seems to seem that everything is going okay over there. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> it's it's an absolute mess. Uh, I'm lucky in the sense, in quotes, uh, in the sense that we are in a we're in the Northeast, so we already went through our nightmare scenario time period back in the spring, um, and things have quieted down for the most part around here, knock on wood, but um, for the majority of the country, no, it's still an absolute shit show. Um, unfortunately, even though things have kind of normalized to a point, we still have not resumed normal game nights and stuff like that. So uh, regrettably, I have not been playing much of anything. I think the only thing of recent note was we played um, an escape room game. Um, uh, Aaron and I the other night, uh, which was like the first time we played a game in like a month. Wow! So like Rory is is forever trying to convince me of the uh, the, the merits of solo gaming, um, and I'm doing it. I've I've done it a bit, you know. I've played villages uh, villages solo. Um, mm -hmm. I've done a few other bits and bobs. High Rise is still downstairs, sort of mocking me, going, "Hey, you can spend three hours playing this solo game, can't you, Michael?" It's just like. Yeah, I could, I could just play on the Xbox. Um, but yeah, it's it's weird. It's yeah, some of the stuff is is odd times. Um, although I think we're kind of vaguely planning something, Rory, some sort of gaming stuff because um, we're allowed to meet up now. Yes, and actually, um, my family are heading off for uh, a night to visit the grandparents, so we've actually got well. Apart from Gen Con, we'll have Thursday and Friday. <laughs> we are going to be working all of Gen Con. Yeah. I'm going to be working all of Gen Con. Rory. Well, we can kind of juggle things so we can do an early game or something. Actually, um, yeah, day game would be cool. I've actually dug out um, City of Kings after a conversation with Matt Thomason from the Friendly Board Gamer. Mm -hmm. um, we were just chatting about it, and I was like, yeah, I really need to take it down from the shelf and play it again. So it's actually just sitting right here. So I'm kind of I'll be playing, hopefully, when this call is finished. <laughs> I'll be squeezing some time to play. Rory forever has stuff set up behind. Actually, did you still have, like, Monster Apocalypse set up? To no, I, fi right I, finally, well? I finally finished that and tied it away. Well, shamelessness. Um, yeah, I've also been playing Adventure Mart and Prism Arena because uh, we're running stuff for Gen Con, of course. Uh, Virtual Gen Con is this weekend. Um, so I've been refreshing my mind with La La. And hey, they're both very good games, Rory. Just so you know. They, I forgot, like, the samples actually, sorry, this is a kind of a side thing. The production samples arrived in today, and it's just my excitement for the game just, like, burst forth again, because it's kind of been, like, for Rory, you didn't mention which game. Or Pism Arena, sorry, which had arrived. <laughs> and the, the launch kit contents as well, which are kind of secret at the moment, but... I was very excited to to see how it all turned out. Nice. Yeah, normally we have that sort of nice excitement thing of the production samples arrive in the office and everybody huddles around like the boxes as they open. It's just like, ooh, mm. shiny, shiny. And even that has been stolen from us <laughs> during these dark times. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's, uh, let's uh, go on to our topic, I guess. Uh, unless, Rory, you've got something else in your in your mind. Yep. No, I'm gonna just move the conversation forward. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> as well. Um, all right. So, like you said, uh, this kind of came from you, Rory. This um, topic suggestion. 
Um, give us the give us the rundown on it. Why did you want to go down this area? Well, with Plug Prisma Arena coming out in kind of late September, early October, I was contacting reviewers about uh, getting review copies out of the game um, for them to look at. And it, when we met yesterday, when we were having our coffee, it kind of got me thinking uh, because they'd been commenting on how kind of some things have been turned upside down because of the lack of cons, um, the kind of not getting it, be, being able to get together to play with people. So I thought it'd be interesting to actually turn the light kind of on reviewers and the process that they go through in terms of looking at a game. Um, you know, because we complain about reviewers sometimes, you know, that some people miss things, some are like, you know, super attentive as well. You know, so as designers and publishers, we have our kind of viewpoints. But I thought it'd be really interesting to um, talk to some uh, kind of renowned reviewers and hear established things. high quality content yeah. producers. Yeah. Um, and just kind of pull back the veil a little bit on the process um, of what's involved, the kind of highs and lows of the process, and even, you know, some tips probably for publishers on how to get the most from reviewers as well and make the kind of relationship easier because. I think before we came on live, we were talking about how it's kind of hard to keep up on all the new releases, you know, in terms of what's coming out. Um, so I think there's a synergistic relationship that isn't really being maximized. And I'm we're as guilty of that as anyone. So I kind of hope to learn, you know, this is me just wanting to learn what I should be doing right. <laughs> when it comes to reviewers. And under the pretense of like doing a weekly show, we're just trying to educate ourselves in how to make the company better. Yeah. Um, well, Matteo, let's kick off with you then. Um, what sort of games do you, do you review for Trick Track? Is it literally like a, um, do, do you specialize in a certain area or do you, is it literally like, here's the here's a tiny game, here's a big game? Can I kind of rewind that a little bit? But again, because you know we're talking to English speaking audience mostly, what is Trick Track? And oh, yeah, that might be an idea. Excellent question. So Trick Track is a website that started in 2000. So it's it's 20th birthday. It's here. Uh, well, anniversary, birthday, not sure. Uh, anyways, hey. Um, we are a one of the French, the leading French-speaking websites on about board games, and we produce different types of content. So we have articles, so written content, uh, live broadcast and uh, review videos or basically any type of board game related videos really depending on the what we want to do what uh what we're paid for doing and if we want to do it yes or no uh we have a youtube channel a twitch channel a facebook page a like all of this stuff uh but to begin with we were only this this website and it's only French speaking. There is no English translation anywhere. So if you want to practice, have a look at it. Uh, but otherwise, maybe it's going to be a little difficult to get some valuable information from there if you don't speak French. Um, and so then to answer your question, Michael, um, we are two main reviewers in Trick Track. So my colleague, Guillaume, and myself. Uh, we don't really specialize in anything in the sense that we don't exclude um, anything from our review spectrum, so to say, um, we're gonna, like, we try to uh, play together in the office uh, as much as we can. Obviously, right now, the situation and the review process is slightly 
altered because of the entire situation as we can't really meet daily in the office to play, review, play, review, play, review. Um, so the main mentality or philosophy behind our process is that uh, basically any publisher can send us anything they, they want. Uh, they send us a game. And if we don't like it, we don't talk about it. And if we do like it, then, um, and if we want, we find a nice angle, if we find something to, um, yeah, if we find something interesting to say about this, if we, if it's different for some reason from the, the uh, production that is uh, in the, um, that is happening at the moment, or, yeah, if it, if it has something to it, then we will write about it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we're only two people, and <laughs> there are a lot of games coming in. So sometimes they are hard choices to make, uh, but we have to make them because um, we have lives and everything. So, <laughs> I mean, Matilde, is it um, is it your your day job as well? It's like it's, it is. it's your everything. You get paid for, yes. for doing it. Yes, absolutely. We are we are a uh, company, so mm -hmm. we are not independent. We are. Uh, uh, yeah, we, we are um, a company on its own. Uh, and uh, this is also probably an influence to uh, the way we are treating the games that are that are coming because we're not, I mean, we're not directly depending on 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 this process to mm -hmm. make money. Then next to it, we can also offer video production services to publishers or but this is this is very clear, and there is maybe Ryan. We we will talk about this a little bit later. But there is at least in my mind, and I know in basically the entire team's mind, there is quite a difference between the written content production and the video content production in the sense that I I never wrote a sponsored written uh, article, like as it because that's our policy in the sense that what we write is what we want to write and then we make our living basically through the video medium mm -hmm. we can do this because we have to, those those two media that mm -hmm. we can communicate through um that's yeah that's our main approach cool right what about you what's the uh, the story behind the cardboard republic yeah so uh we're not quite as old as trick jack uh we launched in 2012 so mm -hmm. it's still um, I guess comparatively out there, still one of the older mm. board gaming sites. Um, just um, we got into it early on. It was kind of this uh, a weird time to do it, but also fortuitous, I suppose, because uh, we had started discussions about it in 2010, 2011. Um, we felt that there really wasn't enough um, variety of content out there and content creation for board games. And, and there was, uh, there seemed to be an opening for more of that. And it seems completely uh, quaint by today's standards because of just how much things have grown in eight years. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's mind boggling. But we we, we took two different approaches, um, kind of a, a, a dual-headed a dual uh, approach to, to what we wanted to do. The first was we wanted to be a vehicle for smaller and indie publishers to get uh, attention for their games, maybe not necessarily for the tiniest of things or for uh, you know print and play type of things, but mm -hmm. smaller publishers, uh, new publishers who are getting onto the scene. This 
this coincided um, almost directly with the nascent of Kickstarter. So Kickstarter was was a couple years old at that point, but really hadn't been taking off in terms of uh, like the, a go-to platform for board gaming yet. But mm -hmm. we were starting to see signs that, that more and more people were starting to want to use this. And we thought that that would be a good vehicle as well. So we, on the one hand, you know, we wanted to give a, a specific attention to smaller publishers that um, maybe got overlooked by um, by other reviewers that, that were focusing on the bigger publishers, the bigger names and, and so forth. So that's always been kind of a passion of ours. Um, and then our major hook, ours is a little bit different, is uh, that we do, um, we do kind of a categorical approach to uh, board games when we, when we look at them from a, from a review perspective, at least, um, and focus not so much on whether or not I like it, but whether or not you'll like it. Because, and we used, we used this analogy to, um, to movie reviews, right? So you, you might really like 18th century dramas, um, and another person's gonna like Transformers, right? And so if you have a game that's aimed at that audience, but you don't like that, that genre, you, that's going to color your opinion. Mm -hmm. So if you're someone who, and, you know, to use a, to use like a, I guess, board game um, comparison, something like, you know, there's, an, there's a huge audience for apples to apples or munchkin. And, but there's also a huge audience for something like, you know, 1830 or Twilight Imperium. These games are completely under the different ends of the spectrum. Is one inherently a better game than the other? I would argue that it's more that they're aimed at different groups of mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't like, you know, four hour math games or dice chuckers, you're not going to like these heavier games. And if you don't like, you know, role playing, you're not going to want to play D&D. So that was kind of how we approached it. And we, we ended up doing a bunch of research and we ended up uh, coming up with um, our, our, what we call our archetype system. It's our six player different uh, player profiles, and we categorize games based on whether or not these particular player types are going to like the game or not. And we actually, we developed a little quiz for the sites. You can take it and you can find out like what your categories are, uh, at least the primary two, and and kind of ran with that. And that's, that's kind of how we wanted to do it. So one of the weird things, even though we're a written site, um, is not a single one of our reviews are written in the first person because um, they're whether or not I like a game is sort of immaterial. And that comes with, that's come with some pluses and minuses, uh, some pros and cons over the years uh, we found um, in terms of an audience. But, um, you know, we like that approach and we stand by it. Cool. I mean, I've got to say one, one thing that I do like about that approach is clinical is the wrong word for it, but it's certainly because you have distanced yourself from it, um, from the actual sort of like, um, the, yeah, it, it's not a, I love this, I hate this, because you are putting yourself in like the, the shoes of the player archetypes. Um, it, it, it makes, it makes, I think for a, a, a good quality review, not that like, you know, Hey, I love this or I hate this reviews are bad either, but you know, it just reads really, really well. And it helps that, you know, you're a good writer as well. So there you go. That's your one compliment for the show. Oh, I'm glad I got it in early. Um, <laughs> and, and that's it. Don't be looking for more. <laughs> uh, I never with him. Yeah. Um, so I had a question, which was like, what's the process that you go through when looking at a game? From let's assume 
from the point of you receiving a game because there's a whole different process of getting a game you know a publisher getting a game to you and what's involved but from the point where you've like picked out the game what's the process mm -hmm. you go through in terms of getting it to a reviewed game um so the first thing we would do would be either we determine we have time to play this together and we're gonna so with the rest of the team mm -hmm. we're gonna play this in the office da 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 or we don't have time or there is a global pandemic that prevents us from doing so um so we're gonna first of all decide who's gonna try this and it really depends on how what the game type is like because we don't necessarily have the same um player archetypes uh in our groups in our friend circle mm -hmm. um for instance um i don't know i i don't have uh, i don't have kids and i don't have kids around me so if we receive kids games then i i can't try them because that wouldn't be relevant obviously uh so this is how we divide the, the work then we try this we try the game at home one time two times three times and then something maybe i wasn't clear i i think i probably misused a word that for the previous question but when i when i said i don't like it not necessarily that i don't like it but it's like i don't find any angle that is interesting to it like mm -hmm. i'm gonna look for an angle that is that is not necessarily interesting to me but also it could be interesting to 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 other people mm -hmm. um and then I need to include some, because we're so short on time, uh, then on top of that, I need to find, and this is, I think, where it differs um, from the technique you were describing, Ryan, is that I need to want to push this forward for some reason, like something, some spark that, uh, that triggers me to want to write about this. Uh, and sometimes it's going to be because I like it personally. Sometimes it's going to be because I find a game, like for instance, recently I tried a game that I personally didn't like this much, but I played with someone who usually hates uh, this kind of games and who loved this one. And this made me want to write about it because I saw what he liked in that game, which I didn't mm -hmm. like, but it was such a weird twist for me to see that person suddenly actually enjoy an escape game that I was just like, okay, this can actually happen. I would never have thought so. So <laughs> yeah, this this was the hint. So yeah, there needs to be something specific. Uh, and then uh, when this is written content, if we're talking about uh, written reviews, um, I'm gonna, I don't really have a technique to be honest. And I don't really have a specific word count or I don't know. I try to pour some content, uh, some, and when I say content, obviously, but I mean not only um, not only fluff around it, but some actual information about the feelings and the sensations that you get from the game, and uh, to basically explain the rules very briefly and just enough so that the reader has a structure, a skeleton kind of of what the game might look like and then talk about how the skeleton articulates and what it mm -hmm. feels like to, to, to basically play with it and see where, up to what extent you can like push the rules and how, I don't know if 
that's very uh, clear, but this is really what I'm interested in. Um, so yeah, this would be my, my three stage methods, I guess. What about you, Ryan? When, when things are more normal, as it were, um, <laughs> I know you go sort of like pretty, pretty heavy into the games, uh, when you're, when you're writing about them. Uh, so I'll, I'll leave this to you because I know, I know a bit about your process because I've been part of it. Right. You know, I've been sat around your table at certain times when there's things that need to be checked out. Yeah, for sure. Um, we, um, it's not all that different. Um, the, the idea, you know, once we, once we decide on what we, um, what we want to, what we decide to pick and run with, um, and, and we, we, we get, we get in on a lot ourselves and so we kind of have to pick and choose on which one we want to focus on at any given time once we've decided which one we want to do and we might have a couple of different ones so we might be juggling three or four different ones at any given time hmm. because we want to take advantage of our play groups um i i'm as you alluded to earlier i'm michael i'm i'm not much of a solo gamer either um if i have a lot of if i actually have an abundance of free time uh, to myself um i will do something other than gaming and um, my wife and I generally don't play a ton of two-player games either. So we're, we're more group players. Uh, we like more of that, like, uh, you know, three to five, three to six range. Um, but we do play two-player versions for, obviously, for the coverage as well. But, we, you know, we'll take a game, we'll, we'll, we'll sit down, and we'll, we, our goal is to play it enough times that we feel that we have um, a good handle on what that game is presenting. And... So uh, we, we don't ascribe to this notion that, that some reviewers have, like you have to play X number of times or it doesn't count. I've played some games where I, I, I generally, I guess my thing is I will, I need to play it at least twice. That's my personal rule. Um, I, like I, I've never played a game one time and felt comfortable reviewing it. Cause sometimes you play it wrong or um, it could be the audience you're playing with, because you can color things one way or the other. So I like to do it a minimum of two, but there's no, there's there's nothing beyond that. So there are some games that I've I've done reviews on where I've I've played it twice, but I in those two times really got a handle on what it's doing. And there's others that I've I've had to play it six or seven times to really kind of figure out um, all the ins and outs of it. So um, I, I don't I don't have like a, a hard limit to that. It's uh, it's more about trying to kind of poke and prod around the different areas um, of the game in terms of uh, like I said, audience who it's aimed at. And then different player sizes. Uh, so some games they're like, oh, this game is two to five, and it works great at you know three or four, but the two player is not that good. So we want to make sure we capture that. And um, so you know we 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 run with that, and we also try to because of again because of our category idea, we want to we ideally we try to have our you know play with the friends that we think will enjoy it the most, but sometimes. Um, Sometimes we we do intentionally try to play ones that we think that they'll like, and sometimes they're surprising. So sometimes we, you know we'll get those weird mismatches, like you were saying, um, where you think that they're gonna hate this because well they hate worker placement games, but they really liked this one. And I too get really fascinated on why is it this one then that captures their interest, uh, or vice versa. If they love area control games but they absolutely hated what this one does. What is it about this one that really sets them off? So those are the type of things that I like to hone on as well. Um, so that part is, is really not that different. Um, and then we, we take as long as we need to take. We, um, we do not um, agree with um, any tur expected turnaround times. 
Um, and for the most part, publishers are, are very chill with that. As you know, the idea is like you get to it when you get to it. Um, I've never run it. I've only run into like a couple of cases in the eight years where a publisher actually had an issue of not getting it out on a certain time. Um, but you know, we, we, we don't do this as a business. This is a side mm -hmm. thing for us. Um, and, uh, so we also have to coordinate other people who, who don't live with us and at, that takes time and energy and effort. And, um, you don't want to push your friends to uh, a breaking point just to get an article out, uh, a week or two earlier than you would like. Hmm. Interesting. Except for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to frame it as a question. It was something that you had said Matilda, which kind of reminded me of reading reviews as a gamer when I'm looking at them. And I guess because I'm reading lots of different reviews and sometimes of the same game, you know, a lot of the review is about the mechanics of the game. I'm not sure what the question is. I'm trying to like think as a reviewer, how do you balance that element of the certain kind of functional information you feel like you need to communicate to the audience? And then there's because the stuff I want is the opinion stuff. I don't really, <laughs> I don't need to know the um, the mechanics because that's covered in lots of different places. Mm. So, so how do you both kind of balance that need to lay the groundwork for the game? This is this is actually your opinion? this is actually the first like the place where it came from um, that I realized that in most. Uh, places you can read about the mechanics, you can learn them easily. Um, and I, I wanted to go a little bit behind that, and at least in certain uh, articles, in part of them. And specifically, what I'm, I'm fascinated by is the mechanics. I, I do you know those pop up books when you open them and it goes like mm -hmm. some games that feel like this, like they're the, the rules are very simple uh really not complicated but it opens the way to a world of complexity and mechanics and tactics and reasonings and so basically what i try to do is to identify the core um arcs or the core the cornerstones um that create this this skeleton that i was talking about earlier and then just just give those and then i'm not going to spend some time explaining that you start with three coins and then you have uh four actions uh, but one of them is optional per turn da 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 it's like basically you have money and you have actions and you can do this or this or that mm -hmm. and if with this i can convey the id and the world or at least part of the world of possibility that is developed uh within the game and that you mm -hmm. experience playing this game then i think this is this is the balance that i'm trying to 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 reach is basically giving the keys to understand the the things that i'm talking about later on in the article mm -hmm. Hmm. brian do you think it's possible to write a review um without any mechanical aspects you know without any of those descriptive bits um, yes, you can. Um, there are some people, there are some reviewers out there who just omit the rules entirely. They, they say you want to, you know, you, you, we are we are going into this assuming you already know how to play. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be looking this up. So we're going to skip the rules and we're just going to dive into the game. And so there are some people who are fine with that because they're putting the onus on the reader or the viewer to already be informed of what they're trying to do. And that's that's a perfectly fine approach. 
Um, we had some folks on our end actually over the years who kind of even pushed for that on our end um, internally. And I always push back on that. Now we have set kind of an arbitrary, but consistent thing of um, we will explain the rules, but it'll never take up more than around 25% of the article. Mm -hmm. So that way you don't get inundated. Because there are some people that, you know, when you really <laughs> stretch the whole thing out and you look at in the end, it's 85% is just walking you through the game. And then there's like a paragraph at the end saying why they did or didn't like it. Um, but one of the beauties of, of reviewing is you can take it in whatever direction you want, whatever you as the the author, uh, the creator want to discuss. Um, you don't have to follow any sort of rigid formula or any sort of uh, template. It's, it's really what you want to focus on. I, mean, I kind of, I always think of the, um, not to knock anyone in particular, but like th this kind of, uh, you see this with a lot of video folks. They all have this traditional, not all, but a, a lot of them have the, follow the same traditional uh, approach of, okay, this is the game. We're going to now explain the rules. We may or may not show a walkthrough on some turns. And then at the very end, I will talk about my review. Um, and written people do the same thing. Um, so you don't have to go that approach. Um, I, I like the idea of focusing on, and this is what I generally do, what is the thing that the game wants? To, what is it expressing? So what is the main thing that you are going to go into this game and kind of sets, not to say it sets, sets it apart, but sets the interest level. So sometimes if you go into a game, that is the mechanics. There are some games that the mechanics are really innovative and clever and they tie into a, to the theme really well. And you want to explore that. So run with the review about talking about how it's doing that. And if you do get into the weeds on mechanics, you know, then that's okay if it's to a point. Mm -hmm. um, but there are other times where the mechanics are immaterial and it's all about the experience that the game is trying to present to you or the theme that it's trying to convey. Maybe there's some sort of underlying premise or, or an, an emotion that's trying to evoke. W whatever the game is trying to accentuate, run with that. Um, talk, you know, because the, there's plenty of thematic games that if you really want to just focus on mechanics, it's like, all right, well, move to this spot, roll a die, read a card. I just described mm -hmm. like 80% of fantasy flight games. There you go. But, <laughs> but, but that doesn't mean that they're bad. It just means the mechanics aren't the focus. Mm -hmm. that's, that's Ryan off the Asmodee <laughs> list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting hearing you say that, Ryan. Michael, you know you've heard me say this so many times. It's like, why should this game exist? That's like the foundation of our philosophy at hub games there has to be an argument for why this game should exist in the world um and i think that's what i'm always looking for in a review i want someone to tell me why should this game exist you know what's the thing that makes it special and if it doesn't meet that criteria then i just move on to find something else um and that's, that's kind of it's quite interesting that, that both matilde and ryan they do that, you know, they, they both seek that what makes this game special, but mm -hmm. you both do it in, in very different ways. So Mathilde, yours is like, you know, trying to find that unique selling point of the game. And Ryan, yours is the, 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 the sort of like the, just trying to find the, that that's, the, the the space it works within, I guess it's it's an emergent thing. It's mm. it's what what makes the game stand out, and I I, I will couch that by saying um, that at the same time, 
um, I usually caution against doing too heavy of a comparison to other titles. Some, mm -hmm. again, some, some reviewers are fine with that. Some aren't, some will say, Oh, well I like this, but it's not as good as, or mm -hmm. I like this, but I still prefer this better, or it's a replacement for X. I, I don't like going into that, at least mm -hmm. from a review standpoint, I, I'm fine to talk about that uh, in person or on social media. I, I'll be outspoken on, on that at, at, from an informal perspective, but I, I don't think it does, do justice to the game to go, oh, well, you know, yeah. this, this, this worker, this worker placement isn't as good as this other worker placement game. Um, I, I just feel like focus on the game itself, but it's also impossible to a degree to do that. I understand because everyone's opinion is going to be informed by the information that they have. So if you've never played another one, then Lords of Waterdeep is the best one ever. But if you've played a hundred different worker placements, then you're going to have a bit of a, um, a more critical eye. Mm -hmm. um, and that and that cuts both ways. So um, I just be mindful of that as well. Hmm. So I have another question that I'm trying to figure out how to formulate um, <clears throat> because it Put comes it, out into the universe, Rory. We'll work it out. Th this is how you're literally see how my brain works. I start talking, and the thing finally comes together. <laughs> um, so you're talking about kind of reviewing and the and how many times you you play the game, um, and as a publisher the you know again myself and michael and the team have talked about this you know there's a permanence to a review when it's out there it exists and it's seen as kind of the truth mm -hmm. um and it's been like i know i found it frustrating on occasion where people have gotten things like blatantly wrong in the game like the either the rules or like when we did holding on there was a reviewer who like talked about the civil war in Northern Ireland and how those they built a wall. <laughs> it was just like, oh my god! Like mm -hmm. you could have just like checked Wikipedia and just you know seen anything. But uh, and this was like a podcast, and so but it's the stuff where it and I think particularly podcasts are guilty of it, where and video where they just kind of like throw something out and don't go back and edit that afterwards or check it. So. I'm going to turn this around and go, has there ever been an occasion where something like that has happened to you where you've accidentally put something out there that was kind of inaccurate and how, and how you dealt with it? <laughs> Mathilde is perfect and has never, ever no, it's... made any mistakes ever. <laughs> no, no, obviously. Is, is, is I mean, that legal not... case? <laughs> <laughs> so first thing is it's only been a year that I'm writing reviews, so I've plenty of time to get something wrong at some point okay. later on. This is probably going to happen. But up until now, I don't think I have. And I mean, I'm also, um, I, I mean, we're actually, I, I don't see, I don't see this happening in a written article. This might possibly happen during a live broadcast, but this would happen only during the broadcast. And then if we put this online later on, I would definitely like I have this little alarm thing in my head that goes like, oh, you say this one thing that you're not entirely sure about. So I go and check this. Mm -hmm. And then if I realize it's actually wrong, we would cut it off right away. Mm -hmm. And if it's something that I don't notice, I don't know. I mean, it just, it never came back to my ears, I guess. Um, but I, I I can assure you, I, I was not the person that mentioned the wall no. in the review of, uh, <laughs> yeah, holding on. It wasn't me. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to echo that. The uh, I, I agree with you, Rory, that there are definitely occasions where um, if someone is doing a review, that there is a tendency to sometimes just throw it out there and uh, it's good enough. Uh, or I, they, there's not that imperative to go back. It's one thing if you're just having a discussion, you know, like the podcast, they, a lot of times it's discussions. But if you're going to do a formalized review in a podcast or on a video, um, you have, just like, just like writing, you have the capability of fixing those things in post. If you realize, oh, I completely missed this rule, then you know what? You don't put it out the day you want to put it out. You go, you fix it. You may have to re-record a section and you fix it. I think it's disingenuous and possibly even uh, just a little lazy to just throw it out there anyway because you want to stick to a, a release schedule. But if you put out something that is blatantly wrong and people catch that, they are going to hammer that. Mm. Um, you know, you, you're going to get people who are reading it or watching it who are going to say, you, you clearly, like, this just looks bad that you didn't take the time to, to have it right and to put it out. Sometimes mistakes do happen, sure, but you can, then you take it down, you correct it, you put it back up later. Um, but yeah, there's definitely, I've seen it occasion. And I agree, it does seem to happen more in video than pretty much any other medium. And I, I, I think this, well, I think part of that is because there's so much competition in, in the video sector to get your review out there. You want to be one of the first because you want to get mm -hmm. those clicks. You want to get the attention. You want to, you want to be on the forefront of people watching your stuff because you, your video is incredibly competitive. Um, mm -hmm. People only have so much time in the day. They can only watch so many videos. They're not going to watch 20 different videos um, of the same game. So you want to be one of those that people are going to and you want to get yours out there first. And sometimes they people will cut corners in order to get that out there. Writers, for the most part, we don't care as much uh, on the whole. I, I'm, I'm obviously I'm generalizing, but it's kind of true. Um, there's not a lot of writers that insist on being at like we have to have this out like the week that the game comes out. It, and and if there is a mistake, it is also kind of a lot easier to go back and fix it because you can just go in and make an edit. You maybe you put it in the editor line if there's something substantial that needs to be changed um, to let the viewers know that something has been you know edited. But if it's a minor thing, then you can just go in and you know change the article <laughs> and update it. Hmm. Um, so there's an advantage there. But no, generally, you just, I don't know. It's, it's a pet peeve of mine. I just take the time to actually like do it make sure you're doing it right i, I yeah. i'm i'm usually the rule guy in 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 my gaming groups anyway so i have to read the rules and then usually after we play it one time i then go back and reread the rules to make sure we did or didn't screw something up like every mm -hmm. single game could be a really simple party game could be a really lengthy game i just i want to make sure i'm not screwing it up because that's just also the competitive side of me of like i don't want to win or lose because we did something wrong mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, i think right uh, sorry, Matilda, you go on. I do have the feeling that if someone would do this repeatedly, like you go to them and you're like, hey, this one thing you didn't get, and then, of course, you didn't have a good time because you did whatever wrong, not according to the rules, and the person would be like, eh, too late, then you <laughs> probably wouldn't send them a game anymore. Like, you wouldn't send them copies of your mm -hmm. new... Um, yeah, You'd like to think that's how you, it would we, we would, but there's definitely <laughs> some that still just keep sending him stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I mean, this is way beyond the reputation or the style or anything. This is just 
I mean, lying up to a certain extent. So, I mean, at some point they would have the reputation because the board games um, community is also not this huge, uh, especially between publishers and the media and the reviewers. So I don't know, maybe there are some counter examples that I'm not aware of, but um, yeah, I feel like this wouldn't be a very, um, a very rewarding strategy for someone who wants to keep commenting on board games. Mm -hmm. We'll we'll talk offline afterwards, Matil. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> but um, there are certainly okay. people out there who have. Um, let's say they have an audience, and they continue to have an audience. But let's say their attention to detail may not be a hundred percent. All right. Um, now, Brian, I realise uh, it's uh, coming up to time that you have to bail, unfortunately. Um, because you have a press event to do, what with Gen Con being around the corner. Um, so before you run away, uh, how can people find you and contact you and talk about your fine reviews? Um, well, we are kind of on the normal uh, spectrum of uh, accessibility in that regard. Um, the website is cardboardrepublic.com. Um, the, we're on Twitter at, car at Cardboard News. Uh, Facebook is Cardboard Republic, Instagram, Cardboard Republic. We were doing some video stuff up until about a year ago. Same thing, same name. Um, but uh, that usually the in the easiest way to get to me is is uh, on Twitter. Um, but you can we take just about any form of social media you can think of. So um, pretty pretty easy to find us these days. Cool, cool. Will cool. you stick that into the comments, Michael, so that yes. people can find it afterwards? I shall do. Uh, so it's uh, twitter.com slash cardboard news. Sorted. All right, Ryan, thank you very much indeed for joining us. And um, I will now kick you out unceremoniously and I'll speak to you over the Gen Con weekend. Thank you very much. Thanks a million. Bye, Ryan. Right. All eyes are on your name with Hilda. Yay! Hello, eyes. <laughs> Coolio. All right. So, um, yeah, it, it, what Ryan was saying there was was interesting. There, there is, I don't know, maybe it's quite a human tendency of not wanting to admit your mistakes, I guess. Like if you do screw something up, a, a lot of people don't like saying, yeah, my bad. Um, especially yeah. if they're sort of like they're just rolling through just trying to create content upon content upon content. Is it a case of... I think you made a good point. There's the different mediums. And so like text-based medium is easier to kind of edit, go back in and mm -hmm. edit. Mm -hmm. But audio and video is harder. I think, you know, and especially with video of just having to reset up and do it. I know people do Klingon, you know, subtitles as they call them. Oh, that's um, Rado's thing, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, it's one of those things where it's like the doobly-doo that some people might know what I'm talking about. There's like terms that have become common parlance when it comes to talking about kind of video. Mm. And I think Klingon subtitles has become one of them where um, you basically add <clears throat> a correction into the video afterwards as a, uh, as a subtitle. Mm -hmm. Okay, I see. Yeah, I think maybe this has also something to do with the fact that most of this information is carried through uh, social networks. And social ne networks do tend to have some kind of magnifying glass effect on, like, you know, Michael, you were saying that people don't really like saying that they were wrong. 
this is true in real life. This is even more true on any any social network. And if you have some kind of community or that is built on the basically the image, I mean, I've no idea of any. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular at all, but like just generally speaking, on the a community that is built on the image of someone, and the person has to somehow at some point do their mea culpa and say, I was wrong about this point or that point and I have to make an edit of that video. Maybe they fear they would lose, they would, they would lose some part of the trust of mm. their, their community. I don't know. It's one of the things I think you actually gain it, <laughs> you know, mm. because it's acknowledged. Um, but I think it is one of those things where, you know, 2012, I think was like that big, for me, like an upsurge in, in gaming. Um, mm -hmm. And so many more people were coming to the world of kind of reviewing. And I think there really is something to be said of the standard that some reviewers um, <clears throat> try to reach. Mm -hmm. you know, it's ho hopefully it'll bring more people up, but there's definitely <clears throat> quite a wide range in, mm -hmm. in quality and attention. And mm -hmm. it's like, when you find someone who has a kind of unique voice, it's like, okay, I'm going to like cling on to that person and stay in contact with them because mm. for good or bad, you know, they'll write a quality review. And that's for me, the most important thing. It's like that they took the time to look at the game, try to find the angle on it um, and communicate that to another audience as a, I think as a publisher, that's the most we can hope for, you know, mm -hmm. you don't, yes, it'd be great if you got a glowing review, um but i think the the reviews that matter most to me are when people you know get what you're doing um mm -hmm. and i remember just say a quick story um scott nicholson who was like reviewing games long ago the granddaddy he, of the, the granddaddy yeah <laughs> he he actually he told me he came out of retirement of like game review retirement to review uh something kind of a game activity we had created uh, myself and Anita called the Extraordinaries Design Studio. Mm -hmm. And he said it just had such an impact on him. He came out of retirement, you know, to kind of review this game. And I cried <laughs> like oh. I did. I, te I teared up because it was like, you get why we made this. He totally mm. understood it. And, you know, that's, we don't just make entertainment. There's usually a reason behind it. And, you know, the, the game has been, it's been a critical, I think, success, not necessarily financial, but the impact it's had on the world is mirrored by what he he said about it. And I think, I don't know how you feel, Michael, you know, that thing of when someone reviews and you know, okay, you got it. You know, yes, we might have okay. like not quite hit the nail on the head, but you understood what we were trying to get and you've communicated that to a wider audience. That, for me, is like the greatest gift from a reviewer. Yeah, I mean, I'll take a... I'll take a glowing five-star, 10 out of 10 review any day of the week, which is fantastic. I'll take an honest review any day of the week as well. But yet, if somebody does sort of like manage to dig in and sort of like, you know, scratch the surface and maybe it's because they know who we are and they've spoken to us previously or they've just sort of, they've just managed to key directly into the vibe that we were trying to, you know, concoct when making the game. But yeah, when somebody does put something up, whether it's a video or a written piece or a podcast uh, piece, and and like you said, they they get it, they understand it. It's just sort of like, all right, mm. maybe I'm not so bad at this game making job after all. So, mm -hmm. 
it was, well, it's I, I don't know if I, I have time to to add something or maybe oh, you got, running you got a bit short. Loads of time. Okay. I, I recently I I had this uh, triad of a um, Kobay Bebop, which is an anime that I mm -hmm. know nothing about, and I could tell that the two authors, so, um, uh, Florian Siriex and Joanne Benvenuto, I could tell they were passionate about it, and you could tell from playing the game that they loved it and they tried to like really represent within the mechanisms of the game the characters and the way the characters behaved between them and the the entire um yeah atmosphere of the of the show and it really really struck me and i i was then of course really curious so i really enjoyed the game because of that reason just because feeling the passion through the game is really awesome and then afterwards it made me watch the anime which i did like very much wow. as well because it's an amazing anime so. <laughs> it's, it's actually really really good but <laughs> i i had no idea of that when first playing the game so i think this is in within the same kind of feel like it doesn't have necessarily i, I don't know i mean they are the authors do know I, I have no idea what their message to or their intention was, but you I could tell that there was a passion, a story of passion behind this. And it wasn't just, oh, a license, let's create some weird and not really interesting mechanisms to like put it on there. It was they really wanted to to put it forward. And that was just a pleasure um observing that. Well, maybe that was just, you know, the message for them for that game was we really, really love Cowboy Bebop and we yeah. want other people to 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 sort of like feel that passion as well. Um, mm -hmm. That's actually really interesting that you sort of like th that you say that because, um, like I said, Cowboy Bebop is, is a fantastic anime. It's one of my favorites um, from the animation to the music to the storyline. So it's just all great. And now I want to play that game. So... Um, if, if it, weird circle. Yeah, if it's that <laughs> it. well, I need to go and find a copy of it. So that's really, really cool. Okay. So I'm I'm gonna try actually and keep us on time, but I the conversation yeah. has become so interesting that we kind of want to keep going. I'm curious then from a I mean I'd love to ask more about the kind of the French your audience. Um and I'll maybe ask that just quickly before I do the next thing. Like what's the size of your kind of audience in France? And you know, what does it span, just so people know? Uh it's honestly hard to tell because we have several millions people. I mean, somewhere I don't have the exact number top of my mind right now, but I'd say around maybe five million people a year um on the website so for a country that is basically 66 million people um but it's hard to tell whether some people are coming again or not or blah or blah or blah mm -hmm. so but this is yeah kind of a a sum a rule of no rule of thumb works i mean an mm -hmm. approximation would be that and then we have also a um quite an active instagram account with more and more people, mm -hmm. um, or f Twitter is kind of the, but Facebook, our Facebook page is also really active. Maybe we're on there right now, actually. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if we've been shared or not, but hi, if yes. Um, <laughs> so it's, um, it's quite, and then of course, there are so many people uh, that are players that are gamers in France that, that 
don't come to TrickTrack. So if your question is really about the span and the number of people that are that do who do play in France, mm -hmm. I'd say it's um, something like really large. <laughs> Probably, um, I don't know. I mean, most people without making any difference. Damn, I read a study about this recently. Uh, I think the number is somewhere. It's around seventy percent of people in France who have played a game at least once in their lives. Mm -hmm. So included basically any uh, type of board games. And I think it's only board games because there is a really mm -hmm. strong culture of uh, card playing games. Mm -hmm. you know, the, I don't, you're probably not going to know them, but the Tarot, Belote, mm -hmm. Rami, uh, Canasta, those are all different card games that you play with basic, well, not tarot, but anyway, with 52 mm. uh, cards mm. games and there is strong culture. I think, by the way, this is also the reason why the crew works so well in France is because there is such a strong culture of getting together, sitting around a table. Um, this is going to be very cliche, but this is also kind of mm -hmm. true, having a glass of wine and playing cards. Like we do this a lot in the afternoons and holiday, uh, whenever going camping, the card playing games is is mm -hmm. very strong. And then now I've been um, noticing, I actually made a, a, a post about this yesterday, uh, that the same group of friends that I'm on holiday every year, uh, two years ago, they were still looking at me like an alien when talking mm -hmm. about board games. Like really, you're actually getting into rooms and, and like pushing coins and cardboard and cardboards. Uh, that doesn't make any kind of sense. And I think it's not only my influence, and that's the good thing of it, is that it's not only my influence, so great. Mm -hmm. um, they got more and more familiar with this, and now we're actually playing Terraforming Mars tonight. Wow. So, <laughs> you know, that's kind of a, a achievement unlocked. <laughs> so uh... yeah, the, the societal aspect of it is... You know, people like societally, people are becoming more aware of gaming exactly. as an acceptable hobby. I guess it's yeah, it's pretty much. It. And I, to be honest, I have no idea how the reputation of uh, board gaming gaming is in other countries, but in France, it really has this kind of old-fashioned ring to it. For still many people, many people mm -hmm. think of Monopoly, of Cluedo, of Risk, uh, oh. and. They don't like still today. There are some people who do discover like, oh wow, the Catan, um, uh, amazing Catan, so modern. And I mean, of course, for me as a reviewer, like a professional of the sector, I'm like, yeah, 25 years, like kind of modern, but you know. <laughs> um, but still, it's really a pleasure to notice exactly as you were saying, Michael, that um, things are getting um, the the and also actually the lockdown had a pretty huge impact on uh, the board games acceptancy or like how they're they're seen how they're accepted how m many people realize that hey it's actually kind of cool to spend some time together doing something together um like something physical in a sense moving things around and not 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 just calling or having a drink or but actually doing and building something um i think this is quite recent uh, i will say because you like <clears throat> quoted a number or statistic 
<clears throat> We're going to have to fact check that and edit the video now. Thanks a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. It's my job. I'll get it. Sam, what was, uh, what was the number that I said that was wrong? No, no, I'm joking. Because <laughs> we were talking about reviewers who just say things and don't don't check what they're saying. Oh, God. <laughs> I was like, you did check this, like, in between. No, I'm honestly, I'm fair. Like, this is kind of a, a you know. Yeah. Don't a, scare the guests. No, or... I'm sorry. This <laughs> That's fine. Uh, I'm not scared. So just maybe to to wrap up for uh publishers who have games um that they maybe want to you know get some visibility in france how, you know what's the best way for them to work with you does it need to be does there need to be a french language version available or how should they you know ap approach uh talking to you and other french reviewers well, actually, Rory, I, I think you could actually widen that question out a bit to sort of mm -hmm. like what, how can, how can games companies help reviewers? Basically, how how can, how can we make mm -hmm. reviewers' lives easier? All right. So I have a first answer to that question that is quite simple: is be clear about the release dates. This <laughs> is the information that is the hardest to get. Honestly. Mm. Um, Whenever you go to, so first, there is not really a united source of uh, um, information. So it's really hard to pick up information a little bit here, a little bit there. Newsletters aren't very, they aren't calibrated the same, obviously. Uh, they're also not very regular. So it's really get, it's really hard to like wrap your head around, okay, this is coming next week. And then this is coming next week. And this takes a lot of time. Like we spend basically, I'd say between one and three hours a week just to know, like to make sure we get a we get a complete list of what's being released this week. And how so, to put that in context? How does it? Because you know, I've a, a different angle on it as a as a publisher working with distributors. But but to give it context, how does it help you to know? I have an idea of what it is, but how does it help you to know what the release date? Is. Is. Is, it is it helping you with planning the timing of your reviews or yes. like scheduling? Exactly. It's about the scheduling, about saying, okay, this one's coming up in two months. So we've received the box uh, right now, but there is no emergency in playing it. Like we can wait for another month and prioritize this one that is uh, coming up uh, next month. Or um, the other way around can work as well. Like, hey, we have this super awesome exclusivity about this one game that is coming up only two months in two months. So let's write about this right now. So this will allow us to adapt basically your uh, publication schedule um, to what's going on. And then this will also, we can then have everything in a, some kind of calendar, whatever. And this will, this way we can make sure that we miss we don't miss anything, basically. We don't miss any information. We don't miss any new release that maybe we would have um, liked and we couldn't, for some reason, the publisher didn't send the box or anything. And this way we can, yeah, we can basically grab the information um, on the way is, so there is this game that is released on the 22nd of September and it's a warrior placement game that happens in space. Okay, got most of the information. Uh, I'm probably gonna have a playtest on the second week of August or something. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, this is a a good way to help us. <laughs> um, and then how to uh, approach? So then uh, maybe a little bit more from the uh, French speaking 
point of view. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I'm kind of fluent in English, kind of. I hope I can say that on an English speaking oh, no. stream, and no one's going to laugh at me. English I... is spectacularly better than yes. our French. <laughs> that's well, fair enough. That that's fine with me. Uh, so I don't need a a, um, a French written version or anything. Also works with German, by the way. If you don't have uh, games translated into any other other language than German, um, it's fine. I can have them. Um, and and. <laughs> what? You're putting no, us to no, shame. No. Oh, I'm fine in English and French and German. It's just like, German. I speak a little bit of Spanish as well, but my Spanish isn't good enough. Like English translations. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, mm. Yeah. So that's that's all right. And then we are actually thinking of creating subtitled videos in English or uh, German or other languages, like multilingual, basically, mm -hmm. subtitles so that anyone could access our um, our content. Uh, so especially because we're going to be um, uh, partners to the uh, Spiel Digital. So we don't really have, we're basically going to think about it over the next two weeks, how we can include this multilingual factor within our video production. Um, I mean, for the written content, it's, it's pretty obvious mm -hmm. how you translate an article. Uh, for the video, it's not like, do we make an English version and a French version? Do we make subtitles? Do we just not do this at all and focus on the French-speaking audience? I, I don't know of this, um, any of this yet. We still have to talk about it, but this is definitely in our process of thinking. The last thing is that uh, separately from the language um, um, reflection, there is also the fact that sometimes some titles are not published in France yet, and they will be localized within the next six months or one year. And then we definitely have a huge interest of like knowing a little bit of what's going on um, within the rest of the world. Uh, of course, uh, when coming from countries like the States or Germany, uh, this is super interesting to us because there are quite high chances that those games are going to end up at some point in France, and um, it's pretty cool for us if we if we can have a look at them early on, and also if we have a chance to push them forward. Um, I don't know, maybe some editors and like French editors mm -hmm. can be like, "Oh, sounds cool. Yeah, I'm gonna call those guys from the other side of the ocean and have a talk with them." I think that's where I think there's a great. Um, opportunity for kind of working together like one i would love to see your videos um subtitled because i it's a bit of a stereotype but i love the expressiveness of people on on the videos you know it just makes it far more engaging to to watch um because mm. i'm usually watching them going i wish i knew <laughs> what was being <laughs> said um so that would be great and i think there is that element and uh, you know we've tried to leverage it in the past where we've we've talked to an editor and a publisher or distributor and they're like yeah i don't know about this game and i'll like i'll start sending out review copies <laughs> to mm. people there because if they're watching and if they see that um you know trick track gives the game a positive review then it does help swing them towards yes. picking it up because they're trying to mitigate risk mm -hmm. um, obviously i can imagine so that's, yes. yeah it i think there's a lot of benefit of working together mm. in that way 
Good stuff. Cool. Is that it then? Are we going to wrap up there? It's coming up on quarter all ten right. past eight, so that's all good. Um, yes. Before we do, though, we do have a question from Jos. Unsurprising. Mathilde, mm-hmm. um, who designed the logo? I'm assuming the tweak like one. And how did it get that lovely face? Uh, so the logo was designed from uh, Dr. Mops. Hi, Dr. Mops. How are you doing? Who is a member of our team who's been there, I think, almost since the beginning. Like, he's been there wow. a while. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, maybe a little bit after 2000, but mm-hmm. almost the beginning. Um, and the logo comes from an uh, axolotl. Yeah, axo, axolotl. Yeah. 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 It's already hard enough to say in French. Yeah, and I think if I got the story right, he had some at home and he just really liked, like they kind of always have this smiley face and they're very, they always look like nice and like they want your good. Like they definitely want what's good for you. If you have a, a look at Axolotl, <laughs> On Google, uh, on Google image, you're definitely gonna feel better about yourself, and yay! Um, so yeah, this is this is where this uh, this uh, logo comes from. So good to know that you like it. Actually, duly noted. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, before we do wrap up, uh, if folks want to check out TikTok for themselves, um, please shill your product. Your wares. <laughs> shill your wares. <laughs> shill your wares. Thank you for this awesome expression. Um, all right. So first of all, of course, the website. So tricktrack.net. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and this is our home base. Uh, then we have a, a Facebook page, which is tricktrack, as in my uh, pseudo that you can see like mm-hmm. here. Yep. Um, then um, Instagram, tricktrack, and then uh, Twitter that is slightly less active, tricktrack cool. Trick Track Crew, sorry. Um, yeah, and I think pretty much that's Oh, of course, and then Twitch, uh, Trick Track TV, all together mm-hmm. in small letters. Um, yeah, so mostly for the community is Facebook, for the pretty things we do is Instagram, and for the content we write uh, is the website, and for the videos we shoot is YouTube. You got it all. <laughs> everything you Excellent. want and more uh, well Mitchell, thank you so much for your time mm-hmm. uh, thank you for joining us and uh, giving us a bit of an insight into the the wonderful world of reviews and reviewing um, meanwhile for us uh, I'm assuming you're going to be sort of like hanging around for Gen Con weekend as well uh, doing some of the Gen Con online things because uh, we are going to be there yeah Ah, yeah, we, I wasn't sure if you were talking to me or to, oh, yeah, yeah. to Rory. We actually did uh, shoot some videos already, so you uh, might uh, see my face around. Wow. Uh, yeah, so maybe see you there. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to be running events all over the weekend. Um, we are doing demo plays of Adventure Mart and of Prisma Arena as well. So mm-hmm. Adventure Mart, of course, installs now. Prisma Arena coming out late September, early October. Um a lot of them are already sold out. A lot of them are already full. Um, but if you go to the Gen Con events finder over at GenCon.com and search for Hub Games, you can see what slots are open and uh, potentially sign up as well. Um, of course, we are in Northern Ireland, and the convention officially takes place in the middle of America. So we're not going to be running events until 3 o'clock in the morning 
because we need sleep and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's plenty of stuff for folks to get involved on. Um, of course, we'll be hanging around in the Gen Con Discord all over the weekend as well. And uh, if you are a reviewer or a writer or any other media person, do get in touch with us. Um, you can grab us on the Discord or you can send a message to media at wearehubgames.com as well. Uh, but for now, um, thank you very much, everybody, for checking us out. Check, uh, thank you to Rory for your time, Matilde as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, we will now wave until the stream finishes. Have a lovely week, everybody. Goodbye. See you next Bye-bye. week. Bye. Waving on. <laughs> okay, I have to wave with this hand because I actually have to click the end broadcast <laughs> button over here. Your smile. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>